Hey, this is Stu Heineck, author of How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed. And if you want to fire up your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast brought to you by Guestio.com. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top-rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Build Your Network. I am your host, Travis Chapel. Today, I am sitting down with Stu Heineck. Stu is a best-selling business author, marketer, and a Wall Street Journal cartoonist. His first book, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone, was named one of the top 64 sales books of all time. And now his latest, How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed, lays out a complete model for explosive business growth based on the strategies, attributes, and tools weeds use to grow, expand, dominate, and defend their turf. A twice-nominated Hall of Fame marketer and NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center author-in-residence, he was named the father of contact marketing by the AMA, and he lives on a beautiful island in Washington State. Guys, it's going to be such a fun interview. There's so many things we can talk about. Fun fact, when I first well, I was starting my show, I was looking for as many books as I could get on networking. Stu's was one of the ones that made it into my top five list of the ones that I recommend to people for learning how to connect with people in a unique and interesting way. So Stu, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for coming hey, on. It's been a long time coming. Thank you so much, Travis. Uh, what, a, what a great introduction. <laughs> I didn't know about the top five. That was cool. Yes, sir. Yep. We put together a top five networking books list for our audience, I don't know, like two, three years ago. And uh, and how to get meeting with anyone was on there as, as well as Give and Take by Adam Grant. Dig well before you're thirsty and a couple other ones. So uh, good so, company. Yeah, uh, good, good company, man. Yep, yeah. exactly. So before we get into some practical stuff, I love to spend a little bit of time building some context and talking about your story, how you got to where you are. Because I often find, especially in unconventional career paths, that it usually wasn't something that you thought about doing when you were 14 or 15. And there's probably a series of obstacles or events that led you to where you were. So let's go ahead and rewind the clock. Take me back to 14, 15-year-old Stu. Set the scene for me. Tell me about what it was like growing up being you. And then we'll get into some more uh, practical questions. I had a blast growing up. I grew up in, in Massachusetts, a little town called Sudbury, Massachusetts. And God, it was just... Um, it, was an, it was an incredible place to grow up. Lots of woods and ponds to explore. The ponds had, had snapping turtles. And so there was intrigue. And there, it was just... It was a great place to grow up. But I was also... Um, I You know, I guess I should... <laughs> I mean, this is really where my interest from in cartooning came from, is um, when I was, I don't know, 10 or so, my brothers and I were sneaking Playboys out of my father's dresser doors. <laughs> and so Wait, I, why? You know, of course, we read the articles, but then... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. It was mainly just because, yeah, the writers were so good. The journalists were Yeah, I mean, that's, why you, that's yeah. why you open the, the pages of Playboy. Of course. Yeah. So Enough said. But I saw the cartoons. I'm just saying, who are these guys? These guys are amazing. How I went like, how do they do this? That sparked my interest in in cartooning. And later, those same cartoonists became part of my group, part of my marketing group. That was really cool. So I got to work with my heroes. You kind of really leaned into the artist side of your brain at that at that point. Well, partly, but then I'm you know, I have a marketing degree, so I I, you know, I went to USC and and studied marketing, and I really I started combining them. I think that's kind of it's an interesting part of this that you get to layer these things. And yeah. come up with really unique combinations. So skill stacking. Yeah. 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 That skill stacking gives you this unfair advantage. Who else is going to match that? Right. right? There weren't many people who were cartoonists or, I don't know, following or toiling in cartooning as well as um, marketing. So that yeah, was a right. big, big advantage. 
that's kind of the interesting thing about finding a blue ocean or operating in a niche or, or, or small opportunity or small space is that even if you're a generalist in terms of your skill set, right? You take something like marketing, but you add another skill set on top of that, it puts you in a more unique company. And then you add yeah. a third skill set on top of that, it puts you in more unique company. And then it's like, well, we do these four things at like vertical integration, but because we do, because I have experience doing this thing and this thing, that makes me a more well rounded, a better marketer and helps me be able to attack the thing that I'm doing in a better way, which really ultimately led to your first book anyway. And yeah. the strategies yeah, right. that you were implementing were a combination of using your marketing mind as well as the skill that you acquired of cartooning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I wanted to, I left college and I wanted to create direct mail campaigns. I did probably, I don't know what it sounds like today, but, but then it was really exciting. You know, per, yeah. personalization was just coming into, a, into the fore. And so I was, I was, when, when did you, when did you graduate college? Sorry to interrupt. When did you graduate college? 77. When you were getting your marketing degree at that point, were they teaching a lot of tactics in terms, like in terms of a certain mode of marketing, like direct mail or television no. or anything like that, or was it more strategic? No. It's very, uh, copy? very. It was quite, quite general. What led no, you into direct mail then? I, you know, well, because I knew I could do something with cartoons, so I wanted to work with all the big magazine publishers, and they were spend, they would pay a lot of money if you were a top creative for them. They'd pay you a lot of money just to write a letter. Mm. Actually, I mean, it was really to create a campaign, but. But but there was good money in it. It was great prestige. I was working. My first two assignments were for Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit. And you know, I, I thrust ahead, even though David Ogilvy was saying, "Don't use humor; it doesn't work." And all the pundits were then following that. But I just huh. thought, you know what? Cartoons are the best read and remembered parts of magazines and newspapers. Of course, people are going to pay attention to these, especially if the cartoon is about them. And I was right. And so the first two tests uh, actually set new records for Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit. So that led me to where, where I ended up writing my first book because I, I thought, okay, this is my chance to, to break into the rest of the publishing industry. I need to reach about 24 people. They're VPs of consumer marketing or, um, or circulation at these big Manhattan-based print media companies like Time Inc. and Times Warner and Condé Nast and so on, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, et cetera. I saw, I knew it was going to be difficult to reach these people, but okay, go do it. I mean, that's kind of the fun of it, isn't it? <laughs> if it's if yeah. they're hard to, to reach. So I put together a little campaign. I didn't know what to call it, called it a contact campaign. It was a, it consisted of an eight by 10 print of a cartoon about each recipient and a note saying, this is the device I just used to beat the controls for Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit. I think we should put this to the test for your titles. And that campaign, Travis, all of them connected with me. All of them agreed to meet. So I went out to New York to meet them. All of them became clients. So you're doing all of this independent. Yeah. Correct. Like as, yeah. as just like a kind of like a contractor, like kind of a pay per... a freelancer. Yeah. 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 And so if you think about that, that was 100% response rate, 100% meeting rate, and 100% conversion rate wow. from a campaign I spent about $100 on that went to 24 people. Wow. That was my first taste of what I ended up calling contact marketing in, in how to get a meeting with anyone. But that, that eventually led to writing that book, how to get a meeting with anyone. That was a sure. blast. People, people shared the most amazing stories of how they've broken through. <laughs> people have been doing just 
crazy things to break through yeah, and that, crazy, crazy smart things to do. I'd love to hear a few examples of those on the show just because, um, you know, somebody might be listening and be like, well, that's cool, but I'm not a cartoonist and I can't like, I can't yeah. capture attention. That doesn't work for my niche. That doesn't break down some of those, those limiting beliefs, if you can. I mean, yeah, you don't have to be a cartoonist. What I'm doing when I'm sending a cartoon, although we, we actually offer that as a service as an agency, so you don't have to be a cartoonist, we'll do it for you, but, but you don't have to involve cartoons. I'm using cartoons because it's part of me. I mean, that's part of my background. I have a lot of background and now a lot of test history. Behind it. it makes sense. But if you knit, let's say, then knit something. <laughs> you know, you could send, you can send all kinds of really interesting things just based on what you do or how, how to some special um, talent or maybe a, maybe a special interest that you share with the, the person you're reaching out to. But people have used Really interesting things. Dan Walshman uses a sword. Costs him a thousand dollars every time he sends one. He's a turnaround specialist, and and he's trying. He wants to reach CEOs of companies that are in trouble, and so he sends a sword. I'm mean, like the beautiful sword in a beautiful wooden box with a handwritten note, and it says, "Business is war. I noticed you lost a battle recently, and just want to let you know if you ever need a few extra hands in battle, we've got your back." And mm. he's getting a hundred percent response rate to that campaign. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So there are a bunch of them and there's, I mean, I don't, we could go in a lot of different directions in terms of stories, but maybe there's just one more that I, I'll share. There was a software salesman who was calling on a, I can't say the name of the company, but if you watched the movie uh, Forrest Gump, you might remember the, the reference to a certain fruit company. <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Intense. But anyway, the salesman was calling on the engineering department at the fruit company and they loved his solution, but they said, okay, next thing you got to do is talk to purchasing. So he turned around, tried, reached out to purchasing, and they wouldn't talk to him at all. So he thought, okay, fine, I'll go right around you to the to the CEO. And the problem was, if you got the reference to the fruit company, the, the CEO was one of the most famous CEOs probably of our lifetimes. So he was not going to be easy to reach. And he found that out, sending letters, leaving messages, sending faxes. That was time to, when you could send faxes or should, emails, et cetera. Was, he was just doing everything he could think of and nothing was working. So one day this box, this plywood box shows up at the front counter. It has air holes drilled into it. And there's a note, handwritten note again, attached to the box. And so it was delivered to the CEO, surprisingly. And the note said, you know, it recounted his story. I talked to your engineering. They love my solution. Purchasing won't talk to me. So I've been trying to reach you. I haven't been able to do it. So this is my final attempt. So if you would open the box and you'll find a pigeon and on the pigeon's leg is a little, little capsule in the capsule is a little slip of paper. If you'll write the name of your favorite restaurant, a date and a time, put the slip of paper back in the capsule and release the pigeon. I'll meet you there. And he showed up and it worked. And it worked. And this guy got a $250,000 deal. Wow. By sending <laughs> so a live really, pigeon. Those are kind of the wild ones. But they're all kinds of really smart things people have been doing to, to get meetings. And if you can't get meetings, you can't sell, of course. Getting meetings is kind of a building block of success in business. Oh, yeah, sure. Sure, right. It's like, you know, the lagging indicator of success is how many meetings you can get because that's a direct indication of how many sales you're going to get, which is... Yeah, well, and your network is either going to is either going to build or it won't based on sure. whether you can connect with, connect with people. Right, right. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with 
Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Okay. So I, to get a little bit back into your story, is this like the first thing that you're attempting after college is this contact marketing thing? Well, I used it to build my... my I, I started to say that, that I used that campaign to reach out to the circulation directors at the or actually VPs of circulation at the big print companies or print print media companies, all of them became clients. And so it launched my my first business, which was to create direct mail campaigns for for publishers. That was worth millions of dollars. And it came again, came from a campaign that cost me about a hundred dollars. When you were so, in your early 20s. Yep. And so then of course now I have a new book out. And this new book sort of goes back a little bit in time. I was driving down the freeway, Santa Monica freeway, and I noticed a dandelion growing out of a crack in the concrete median. And I just thought, wow. Well, Fritz, I mean, that's something we see all the time, but, yeah. and I do as well, but that one time, it just made this impression. I'm just thinking, look at that little dandelion growing out of the crack. It's, you know, it just landed there. And right. I mean, the seed landed there, but how did it get there? Well, we know how it got there. Dandelions have these seeds that float in the air and they probe every possible opportunity to to take root anywhere, unlike let's say I don't know pine trees or or acorn. I'm sorry, oak trees. They drop their acorns and pine cones to, at their feet essentially, and they don't spread at all. So that dandelion had an unfair advantage, and I thought that was really fascinating. It didn't look depressed. It didn't look like like well, gee, this sucks. I ended up in the middle of a freeway instead of at the beach, which is where I really wanted to be. And we would do that to our. We do do that to ourselves, but it had no emotion. So all it did was run its process. It sure looked happy, actually. Even though I'm saying it had no emotion, it looked happy doing it. And I just thought, you know, I hope I can live up to that example when I just throughout my career. So that was when I was beginning my career, but I hope I can live up to that example. And that started, you know, it can't be a life, it wasn't a lifelong fascination, but from that point on throughout my life, a fascination with what the hell are weeds up to? And what, mm. what is it that they're doing? Do they, do they actually have a model, a unified model for growing like a weed. And if they do, is it, is it something that we can apply to our businesses? 
And they do have one and it is applicable. And in fact, just the experience of writing the book has changed the way I've been doing business. And I'm, I'm hearing from people now who've, who are reading how to get a meeting, with, sorry, how to grow your business like a weed. And they're saying, yeah, it's changing the way that they're doing business. Yeah. And they're also seeing weeds quite differently. <laughs> they're looking <laughs> at things, what are yes. they up to? You know? What are a few of those, a few of those strategies that- Well, uh, I would say, apply? I mean, just sort of to, to summarize first, weeds always deal with what is. They're never clouded by, by feelings and, and emotions that get in our way. They, those things don't happen. They just, they have a process that's just programmed into their DNA and they run it. So they deal with what is. They never do anything without an unfair advantage. They've got lots of unfair advantages built into, into what they do and how they operate and how they grow and how the seeds spread and all that. Mm. And they never do anything alone. That's interesting. And that was one of the ones that really, that was a revelation to me because we're so focused on, on being self-reliant. I mean, that's how we're, that's how we're raised, how we're brought up that, that just, we have to become self-reliant. And if you're an entrepreneur, I think entrepreneurs are probably the, some of the most self-reliant people in the population. Yeah. Biggest culprits. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the problem is that's great. That's wonderful. And they wouldn't be there if, without that, but then they have to set that aside because they have to build a team and they, they without building a team and without building infrastructure and so forth, without delegating, without getting out of the way, they're going to prevent anything from scaling. So, but anyway, so weeds are natural collaborators and they, they just never do anything alone. And that was a great lesson for me just to look at that and say, wait a minute, how can I do that in my business? And my business is changing, fundamentally changing because of it. And then finally, they always focus on what makes them win. So that's what they do. They, they, they deal with what is, they never do anything without an unfair advantage. They never do anything alone and they always focus on what makes them win. If we could, that's a perfect description of a successful entrepreneur, wouldn't you think? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And since, since this is build your network, we talk a lot about relationships. Let's focus in on the, they never do anything alone thing. And I want to hear kind of like a couple of practical, maybe strategies that you've implemented in your business or that you've heard other readers implementing in their business that allows them to take advantage of this principle. Sure. Well, I mentioned we, about cartoons and that I use cartoons to help clients um, break through to their top accounts. So, mm -hmm. so we have a program called Big Boards. It's based on these 18 by 24 inch, quarter inch thick foam core boards that have a cartoon about the recipient. And then on the flip side is branding and then a message from the sender to the recipient explaining who they are, why they want to meet and next steps. So those go out and they create this huge impression. Well, they're big. So they create this huge impression and it gets people on the phone and gets them engaging. So the thing is, you know, I, I've, and I've got all this test history because I've used cartoons in direct mail now so much that I know exactly how to use them in direct mail and in, in these other marketing campaigns. And these things are, I mean, one of our clients, one of one Fortune 250 client went from a, a essentially a 0% contact rate with their prime accounts to a 70% contact rate, 50% meeting rate from these big wow. boards. So that's great. And, and I, I'm a very self-reliant person and I was blind to it. So, so I've been doing a lot of the selling myself. I mean, it's just a small agency. So I've just been doing a lot of that myself. What I came to realize after I wrote the book and, and just realized, my God, I'm holding my business back. So, so what I really should be doing is teaming with all of these people. For example, all of the sales thought leaders that I interviewed for how to get a meeting with anyone, I've got great relationships with them and I'm not doing anything with them in terms of building business together. Why not? Mm. So that has, that has um, I was going to say launch, but that, that's caused the launch 
of a new campaign of sending big boards out to, to uh, and I've been reaching out to them now anyway, but I'm just now sending out big boards to all of the people that I interviewed for the for that first book, and all the sales thought leaders, because they have all kinds of clients that we could tap into to, together. Yeah. And I've, I have a solution to help their clients break through. I'm sure that'll help them. I'm sure it'll help all of them. It'll be a win-win-win situation. So just by going from one-to-one leverage to let's say multi-channel leverage, I'm gaining access to new sales channels and new new pools of, of clients that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And that that fosters much faster growth than I could be doing on my own. So that's mm. maybe one example. Yeah, sure. Just opening the door for more collaborations and setting ego aside and understanding that not only is it like not shameful to bring on collaborations, but it is actually very profitable and a smart strategy all the way around to continue to do that. Absolutely. The weeds, I, the, the weeds would approve, but that's, that the is one approve. of the, <laughs> that's one of the things that one of the messages that came through so clearly as I studied their, their model or just as it fleshed, as it fleshed out, as I was researching the book for the book is yeah. we really have to, um, we have to collaborate. Collaboration is, is everything. And I know you know that because that's kind of the, that's kind of the whole thrust behind your business and your podcast. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, Stu, to talk about the books and what they've done in terms of opening doors for you. I assume, you know, obviously everything, all the other strategies that you that you implement also work. What have writing these last couple of books done that maybe makes it a little bit easier for you to get your foot in the door and get a meeting with somebody? So how to grow your business like we just launched, just launched June 1st. So for me at this point in time, it's, it's all new. But the experience really, so let's say with how to get a meeting with anyone, the experience was that they read it. You know, when you read it, you your exposure to the material is more recent than mine, even though I wrote it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but but what's really amazing is that I don't really have to explain a whole lot because they're coming to me already understanding the, the thoughts, the reasoning behind all the, the rationale behind what we're doing with contact sure. marketing. Yeah. And so there's that. And then there's also, gosh, you know, this book really has had an incredible impact around the world. A lot of people have, have read the book and then come back and told me, well, I, you know, I, I read the book and then I made, a, I once said, I made $300,000 right away. I got new business right away. Another one um, said, I've I, got to tell you this story. And he told me about how he went from new hire to sales manager of a multinational $4.7 billion company in the span of a year because he read the book and used contact marketing. Wow. And um, and I don't know if you know the company ReachDesk. It's a UK-based company. They're a competitor to Sendoso. They're a gifting platform for getting oh, okay. the and the owner said, look, I read your book. And that inspired me to start the company. So oh, no way. Wow. there's all kinds. They just got a $48 million, I don't know, Series B round, uh, round of funding. Wow. What, what um, was the name of that one again? It's called ReachDesk. ReachDesk. Yeah. Nice. They've had the huge impact. You mentioned to me that, that my book was one of your top five for growing networks. And I didn't mm-hmm. even know about that. And a lot of things, they, it just shows up in the darndest places, actually. Yeah. It showed up on the bookshelf of um, I can't remember what it was. Anyway, sneaking just, in on the bookshelf, it was just like a an item in the out of the bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. nice. So, that's awesome. uh, so you know, books are are um, well. You know, I talk a lot of, about cultivating unfair advantages in yeah. in weed strategy in the in the how to grow your business like a weed book. And one, if you have a book out, that is definitely an unfair advantage. Mm. You know. People know what you what you stand for. What you know, they 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 read your best thinking on the subject, and they want more. That's just totally different from I don't know. Let's say trying to reach out on on LinkedIn and 
we know the people, we see the people who pitch, right? As soon as they connect mm-hmm. on LinkedIn, which is not a very smart way of doing it, but that versus people already know you're thinking, they already know what, what it is. Maybe what you've done is start, you might've created an entirely new category, which I have done with, I mean, contact yeah. marketing is, it's not that I invented it, but it it became a category that was named, I named it and sure. became then then named the father of that, of that category. So that's pretty cool. But if you create your own category, then, right. then you, you talked, you mentioned blue ocean earlier. That is a blue ocean strategy for sure. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Stu, I mean, this has been a lot of fun for me. Like I said, I've uh, I wanted to get you on since I read the book. So I'm, I'm happy we're able to finally make it happen. If you're listening to this, watching this right now, how to grow your business like a weed. You guys know, anytime we recommend a book on the show, we recommend you go pick it up right now before you forget it, as long as you can do it safely. So for you that are driving, don't do it right now. Wait till you stop <laughs> for gas or something, okay? Uh, how to grow your business like a weed. Be sure to go grab a copy of that. I have no doubt uh, that it'll be full of uh, different valuable lessons you can get. And go pick up uh, Stu's last book as well, uh, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone, especially if you're a listener of the show. Um, there's maybe not many more books that are extremely relevant to the topics that we talk about here than that one. So Stu, thanks for taking the time, man. It's been a lot of fun and I look forward to the next time we can connect. What a great pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes that you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, so that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.